Well, if you're just uh, joining us, we're going through a series on the Holy Spirit. This is message number three. And uh, really wanting to get, even though this is not an exhaustive study by any stretch of the imagination, I can't remember how many, I told you how many messages it was, I don't even remember now, but it's not nearly as many as it could be. Um, but one of the things we want to do is get um, a somewhat, if not exhaustive view of the Holy Spirit, a comprehensive one in the sense of uh, some uh, reminder of the fullness of the work um, of the Holy Spirit. And so in message number one, we uh, were reminded that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force, and not just a doctrine, by the way. He's not just an explanation uh, that we offer to certain things, other things that we believe. We sort of back into them and say, oh yeah, well all the things we don't otherwise understand, well that's the Holy Spirit. No, he's a person, not a force, and he manifests the presence of God on the earth and applies what Christ has accomplished. And then in the next message we learn that the Holy Spirit, as I just prayed, is the Spirit of truth. And he inspired the scriptures, that he illuminates our understanding of the scriptures. And really, uh, perhaps most notably there, the, the, the point was that the Holy Spirit has spoken. He has he's already told us a whole lot, such that every authentic work, every authentic work of the Holy Spirit will be consistent with the truth that he's already revealed in scriptures. That is necessary to say because there's a whole lot of inauthentic work attributed to the Holy Spirit that simply cannot be from the Holy Spirit because it's contradictory to what he said in the scriptures. That's a really important foundation that we lay down. And I do want to say, I elaborated on that some in the newsletter articles the last couple of weeks, and if you haven't uh, read those, I would draw your attention to it. But I, I, I said, among other things, that um, as I went through this series, as becomes relevant, I'll teach from the perspective of the EPC physician paper on the Holy, on Holy Spirit, uh, because the, the, when we sort of take up the charge, when we accept the charge to ground ourselves in the scriptures, one of the things I was speaking to in the newsletter this past week is the, the sort of immediate um, rub of that, the reason that's easier said than done, is because we tend to look at the scriptures through different lenses. So even uh, we, can, we can open the scripture and, uh, and think we understand real clearly what that individually means, and we might be looking at it from very different lenses in terms of how we understand the whole Bible we put together and so forth. And so uh, it's important to say um, and underscore the fact we teach from a certain perspective. Ours is uh, with regard to the Holy Spirit, at least summarized there in the EPC position paper on the Holy Spirit. So one of the things I said in this week's newsletter article is we won't ground ourselves or teach from the perspective of a number of other points of view within the spirit field of charismatic community. So we're not uh, teaching from the perspective of word of faith. You know, Kenneth Cope and Crescent Dollar, uh, Kenneth Hagen, Justin Plantis and that crowd. Um, we're not teaching from the perspective of the New Apostolic Reformation, Bethel, uh, Bill Johnson, Todd White, uh, Lou Engel, and so on. Um, or we could fill in the blank with any number of other uh, points of view we're not teaching from. That doesn't mean that there's not plenty of overlap with everybody who believes the Bible 
gospel believes Jesus is Lord and the, um, uh, the Savior of the world and so on. There's lots of points of agreement um, there. And lots of people who are, are, are really draw a lot from any of those people I've just mentioned. But the point is, we just, we don't teach, we're not going to be teaching from that perspective. We're going to ground ourselves there. And, that, and that's important to say. Um, and, I, and I guess I, one of the things that I highlighted, bold-faced in, in uh, this newsletter article this week, that I wanted to draw out today is to say, we teach from a certain perspective, and I, and I say this really uh, with, the, with the very best uh, of intentions or whatever for us to find some liberty in it, but it's this. You have the right to take exception you just don't have the right for your exception to become everybody else's norm. Now, I hope, I hope that you, again, receive that with the, uh, the good grace with which that's intended. In other words, there's, there's great liberty to be found there. The problem we run into as evangelicals and as spirit-filled evangelicals many times is when you get people who just, who have a different perspective or look at things through a different window and, and not only disagree, but then just insist everybody else has to take their viewpoint. And pulling in a whole bunch of different directions and you, you get churches torn apart by that. And it's not necessary. We can disagree on lots of things, um, and so, but, but they just don't have to insist that everybody else agree on our viewpoint. There's actually, if we will, if we will accept that, We'll accept that charge. We will find great liberty there, and we'll find great power because we can walk together in unity. Okay? So if we ground ourselves in truth from a certain perspective. You, have, you or I have the right to take exception, um, but we just don't have the right for our exception to become everybody norm. So uh, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He's a person not a force. Today we're going to look at the Holy Spirit as a life giver. And uh, more specifically, there are lots of ways actually we could probably examine that. But I want to consider specifically that he gives spiritual life at regeneration or when we're born again. He gives cleansing and newness of life at regeneration. And then at the resurrection, he will give life to our moral bodies. It was uh, really, I think, quite providential that Julie mentioned the Lord led her to Ezekiel and the dry bones today, uh, that's very pertinent as an image of the Holy Spirit as a life giver and what a, a, a prophecy of what the Lord would do um, through the work of Jesus in bringing spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. And so, as I said, we'll look at uh, bring kind of quickly at these three different passages as, as we go, but number one, in regeneration, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. John 3, 3 through 8 says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter, in, uh, enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, 
But if you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone who is born in the Spirit. And we actually uh, looked at this passage back earlier in our series through the Gospel of John, which again, if you're visiting, we've been going through the Gospel of John. This, uh, this series on the Holy Spirit was a little bit of an excursus from there as we kind of jumped off of a, of a couple of passages in John 14 and 16. But when I preached through John uh, 3, we, uh, we looked at the same subject, and so this is kind of a review from that. But regeneration that we read about, or being born again, that Jesus refers to, it's a work of the Holy Spirit by which He gives spiritual life to one who was spiritually dead. And that spiritual life is what enables a person to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 Give us an image of that very experience where it says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He gives a picture to us of regeneration, of salvation, is a, is a, is a, or resurrection is a picture of that. In other words, when we were dead in our sins, and he made us alive. It's just a, a miraculous work of his spirit that he resurrects people who are dead. Those dry bones in the valley. That he breathes life into them when we're dead in our sins. And it is that awakening to the truth, seeing the truth for what it really is, seeing the beauty of Jesus for what it really is, for who he really is. Understanding our sin for what it is as an offense to God's soul. Uh, that we're awakened to all of that and then able and willing to respond in faith. So regeneration is not just turning over a new leaf or resolving to do better. It's not reinventing yourself, kind of rebranding yourself. It's not new birth in that sense. It's not just trying to be a good Christian. It is a miracle. As miraculous as raising Lazarus from the dead. As, as miraculous as it would be for dry bones to live again. The wind blows where it wishes. Nobody can see where it comes from or where it's going. But it is the Holy Spirit in his mysterious coming and going that gives life where there was no life. He enlightens a person's mind spiritually with the saving understanding of the things of God and gives them a new heart. One of the reasons, by the way, for highlighting the things that I'm highlighting today is for, for us to be reminded of the ways in which you know, you might not have connected the dots before, you know that the Holy Spirit has already worked in your life. We've got a milestone in our life that we can look back on and say, that was the Holy Spirit in my life. And the fact that He gave you spiritual life when you were spiritually dead, spiritually dead is one evidence of it. You didn't think of yourself as being spiritually dead at the time. Right? You might have thought of yourself as quite alive. Partying and running with a raucous crowd. I know what you were doing. <laughs> And you didn't think of yourself as spiritually dead, but we look back on it and we see he quickened us and gave us an awakening to what's true and good and beautiful. 
So that's number one. Number two, in regeneration, the Holy Spirit also works in that He cleanses us and gives us the newness of life. He's a life giver in the sense that He washes and renews us, gives us newness of life. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 6 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. There's, there we see again another explicit reference to the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. And more specifically, what He does uh, in that work is washes and renews. The Holy Spirit reorients our hearts toward a love for God and toward the things that God loves. He didn't save us because of good works, but He did save us for good works. If you read the book of Titus, it's a short one, actually, just three chapters, but it says repeatedly uh, how we are to be people of good works. We're not saved by our good works. They don't earn us favor with Him, and yet we are saved for good works. He's washed us and renewed us, and we should mention, by the way, He continues, the Holy Spirit continues to do a cleansing and renewing work in the life of a believer for the whole life of a believer. We call that in the uh, order of salvation or whatever the, the because we, we were just saved once upon a time. He continues to save us in a sense, and in the future will save us ultimately from the very uh, presence of this sinful world. But in the whole life of the believer, he is sanctifying us. We call that sanctification. He's making us more holy, more like Christ, setting, up, setting us apart for our uh, for himself. And so he continues to do a cleansing and renewing work in us. And it happens slowly. Um, some of you uh, may think of a some kind of cleaning product that you know, maybe an enzyme of some sort that you you can add to uh, maybe a bucket of water or something like. And it just does its work. It doesn't make any suds. It doesn't have any smell. You can't see it doing anything, and yet it works in cleaning or disinfecting or something of that sort. I don't. I have to confess, I don't clean often enough or know enough about cleaning products to be able to name one of those for you, but I'm quite sure there is such a thing. Uh, the ones I use, they, 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 they add color additives to it and make them suds and stuff like that. They make me think they're doing something. But uh, in any case, you know, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification very, very often can be said to be operating in a similar way. We don't feel it happening. Right? You don't, you don't necessarily 
see the progress day by day, but many of you right now can think back on the person you were 30 years ago. And you know not only did he uh, cleanse and renew you at your regeneration, but he's continued to make you a different person with different desires and inclinations and so forth. And that's part of the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in us. There's a, a change in desire or passions. As he said, as Paul said at the beginning of this passage here that we just read, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, we were slaves to various passions and pleasures. We passed our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Now, for those of us who grew up in the South, we, uh, it's not like we weren't malicious or hateful. We just know how to sweep it in a certain way where it doesn't appear to be quite as hateful and malicious. So maybe we wouldn't think of ourselves as, uh, as full of malice and hatred either. But we were governed and guided by uh, different passions that he changed uh, our desire and inclination toward. So he's cleansed us in the new birth, when we were born again, he gave us new passions, new desires, uh, uh, removed from, uh, from us um, certain desires, maybe immediately. I hear people give testimony of that kind of thing. They might have been just sort of given over to certain sinful habits for all of their life, and they got saved, and suddenly it was gone. Now, that is not necessarily the typical story. And by the way, if, if God was gracious enough to take away one habit, they were probably left with plenty of others that become that lifelong process of being sanctified. But it's evidence. We can look back on and see that's the Holy Spirit who worked in our life in a particular punctuated way, at a punctuated moment, but he continues to do so that over the course of our life. And then number three, the Holy Spirit, as a life giver, will give life to our moral bodies. At the resurrection, the Holy Spirit will give life to our bodies. Romans 8, 9-11 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I may come back, by the way, to another sort of brief reference to Romans 8 in this series. Um, but again, because I'm not being exhaustive here, not touching everything that we could, but Romans 8 is really an essential passage. If you're going to do a study on the Holy Spirit, um, there's, that's an essential passage here to about the life in the Spirit. But it says that the Holy Spirit not only gave you spiritual life and, and washed you and renewed you and nourished you, but that He dwells in you. And He's the one who will ultimately raise our bodies to new life. He's, he's the one who will make the dry bones live. And so again, um, 
we can look back and and remember. So I think I said the you know the first message in this series. You know that some people uh, kind of think of the Holy Spirit as either a doctrine or just sort of an inference. That uh, they're told this is what the Holy Spirit does, but uh, but don't think of any particular ways in which they know that he is who the scripture says or that they've experienced or encountered him in any particular way. And one of the things that I'm, I'm wanting to draw your attention to is because when you were born again, the Holy Spirit acted first before you even believed, before you even repented and trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit raised you from spiritual death to life and you then repented and responded to him. The very fact that you desired him was evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And so, so from the beginning of our spiritual life to the very, very end, after even if we died and gone to heaven, there will, will be a day to come when the, when the resurrection of at the end of the age and Jesus comes back and uh, all of those who are in Christ are raised, we, we will be bodily reunited with our spirits. It will be a glorified body we will occupy on a new earth. That's some of the weird stuff if you've never heard that before. Um, but that's the way the Bible describes the end of the story. That this messed up earth filled with famine and sword and pestilence will be made new. There will be none of that and we will be made new with it, including with glorified bodies. And the point being here, that my point today in mentioning that, is that the bookends of our whole Christian experience are uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. That when we're born again and given spiritual life, and then when we are glorified in the very end and given new bodies, it is the Spirit that gives life. And what's I think noteworthy about that too may be helpful to us as we think about because so much of we live we live in all the in between of that right we live in we live in a lot of years in between that we live a lot of life in between that and there's a lot that scripture tells us about life in between that but one of the things to consider is that given the fact that the Holy Spirit as a life giver will give life to our mortal bodies. He will resurrect and give life to those dry bones, that decayed body. He will he'll give life to it again. And given the fact that that is true, the, the perspective that gives us is that when, when the Holy Spirit heals someone's body today, and of course God has particular purposes for that individual and their healing and the testimony that comes from that. But it also serves as a testimony to everyone who witnesses that, everyone who hears that, that Christ is Lord over death and decay. We connect the dots here. In other words, if, if, if God, the Holy Spirit, can give life to actual dead mortal bodies and resurrect them from the Whatever your physical ailment is or mine, he can heal it with no problem. Okay, if he can make whole 
buried, decayed bodies live again, then he can, he can make cancerous cells whole. He can make withered hands grow into real and full hands. He can make lame men walk and blind men see. And of course, Jesus did all of that. But, 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 but part of the point here is um, that, that those healings today, it's not only for their own sake. It's not only for the sake of getting rid of the sickness or, 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 or making us whole for whatever purpose we have on earth. It is a testimony to his lordship over death and decay. We rejoice in the healing, and it may increase our faith that we may be healed too. But above all, it should assure us that death does not get the last word. And see, we, we accept that by faith, we walk in that by faith, but the point is to draw our attention to the fact that we have been given evidences of it along the way. We've been given milestones of his work as a life giver in our lives as part of our own testimony of what he has worked in us, the person we once were and the person we are now. And even again, those uh, those testimonies that people would give of his physical healing. We've seen him do it as a life care, but we can be assured that death does not get the last word. He is a life giver, and as basic as that is, we need to look back and remember the work that the Holy Spirit has done in us so that we can have the assurance he will continue to. So when the work that he is now doing is that sort of invisible, uh, it, the, the, the work inside of us, we can't feel it happening. I don't notice today that there's something remarkably different from yesterday, perhaps. That when he's working in us that way, we can look back and be reminded of those milestones and have assurance. He is still at work cleansing us and renewing us. And he will complete the good work that he's begun in us. I'm going to uh, just tie that up. Right? There's more that I uh, perhaps could say that, as you well know. There's always more that I could say. And, um, but I'm going to tie a bow around that right here. And um, we'll pick up next time with his role, if you will, the work that he does, the Holy Spirit, and the Great Commission. So let's pray again. Lord, we praise you. And thank you, God. Because as often as we forget or lose sight of it or grow dull in our sense of the truth of the Lord, what we know is that we were dead in trespasses and sins, and you made us alive. As spiritually we were, like Lazarus, Lazarus bound up in a tomb, and you just called us out. And we came to you 
So Lord, I pray that you would brush the dust off of a lot of memories. Things that we haven't reflected on. Lord, would you remind us even as of our baptism as that marked for many that occasion. And even when it didn't mark that occasion of our new birth, Lord, that it points back to that. That there was a moment in our memory where old things were made new, where we were washed and renewed because you gave life to dead men and women. So Lord, help us to recover that, to ground our assurance in it, your ongoing work and presence in our lives and the assurance of the future work that is in store for us where you will complete what you've begun in us, securing a final victory over death and decay, and that we will be joined forever with you because of that. And Lord, there may be some here today, or even listening online today, who, who don't know of that experience in their past. God, I pray. I pray that you would awaken hearts to the truth of the good news, to the beauty of who Jesus is, to the understanding that he died on a cross for our sins and was raised from the grave on the third day, that he ascended to your right hand and that through faith in him, trusting in him, and him alone, that we might know eternal life. Lord, if there are those who don't know that truth and that experience, God, would you awaken our hearts to it now and begin in them that story that many others are remembering today. But we invite you, Holy Spirit, to work among us, move among us, teach, enlighten, awaken. In Christ's name, amen.